Welcome back to the Freeling Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and this week for our off-season interviews, I chatted with Brody Chapman, who just wrapped up her final season with FDJ Suez Futuroscope before announcing that she would be moving to Trek Segafredo on a two-year deal. Two very, very different teams. So Brody and I dive into her role on the French team and the way that the sport has progressed since she signed that contract and since she started out and what she's looking forward to in the future with her new team, what her role will be on the new team and all of that good stuff. Before we dive into the episode, this podcast is brought to you by Zwift. Zwift recently kicked off their new Grand Prix series. It's not your typical esports cycling race. It's a new style of racing that will require more skills and tactics and will deliver high energy viewing experience. 24 teams have been selected to take part in the Grand Prix series and they will see equal fields, format, and prize money for men and women. The format of the Grand Prix is designed to allow the whole roster to shine for each team, as well as exciting follow for viewers. The first round was a month or so ago, but there's races all winter long, and you can watch all of them live on Zwift's YouTube channel. There's no geo-blocking nonsense, and it's super exciting. This is a really cool new way to watch racing, a really cool new style of cycling that's very, very different from road cycling, so if you haven't checked it out, I recommend it. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Now, here's Brody Chapman. Brody, how's it going? Um, I'm going pretty good, except for that I'm actually a bit sick. So if I sound unhealthy, that's why. But I kind of knew this was coming. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was inevitable. I'm surprised I didn't get sick directly after Worlds because um, I did not do the good recovery protocols. Um, no, but so. the season's over. So you got to like finally unwind a little bit. The season's <laughs> over. You can go stand in a, in a filthy club and be fine with it. So yeah. <laughs> how was, how was the season for you? Like in now looking back at it, your final season with FDJ, what do you, what did your, what are your initial feels? My initial feels is like mostly satisfaction with my consistency and also, I want more. So I think it's difficult. Like sometimes you look at riders and you're like, oh, they've come really good this season. Like what different training are they doing or what's changed or something? And, but I guess every season like really does have its different challenges. And we know that like coming into, well, my first season at FDJ was 2020, which was COVID. And, um, yeah, I think some people came out of that great and others didn't <laughs> I did not come out of it good um just with the sheer kind of chaos of yeah trying to live live to move overseas and come back and forth and not know and coming off the back of like a very very burnt out 2018 and 19 so I know I'm talking about the past but it's all relevant as to why this season has been how it is because um, yeah. it's not you know it's not just like a clean slate of January 1st and you're like all right next season and I go like there's an after effect of everything and then, yeah, I felt 2021 was getting a bit back to normalcy and I was finding my feet again and finding my place on the team. And, yeah, um, I had, like, I was obviously not selected for the Olympics, so that definitely affected me a little bit. But um, And then I had an injury at the end of the season, so I didn't do Worlds. So I felt like 2021 I was a little bit robbed. And then 2022 has been really good in that, well, I have been working with a new coach for a year and we get along really well. Um, it's John Wakefield from Science to Sport. And I just feel like I can be honest with him. But also the team has professionalised so much. And I think there's a direct link between girls' performance and the professionalization of a team. So we've also got a team coach. And so he does so much of our performance analysis and he communicates with my coach a lot. Um, We've just been so much better resourced on FDJ this year and I think it really shows. Um, I know it shows because you just have to focus on training and racing and, you know, I feel like um, the dynamic's been really good with the whole team. Like I've felt, you know, you can always be honest with the directors, the directors are honest with you, the team coach is really passionate about his job, Flavian, and 
he's always going to like listen to what you have to say and understand about, you know, where your forms are and how your feelings were in the race. So it's actually a collection of all those things that my season has been consistent. And I think that's what feels good because, yeah, as much as there's big highs and lows in cycling all the time, I think this year's been just been pretty good. Like I've been able to do my job all year and that gives me a lot of confidence to know that if I need to do something, I can I can do it um, most of the time. But I definitely feel so that's been that's been my season, I'd say consistent. Um, but I do want the consistency to be at a higher level. Like I would like to try to win a race and that's not something I've been in a position to do this year really. I've helped others win races and it's succeeded. So that's obviously very satisfying as well. But yeah, I think that's now I'm starting to get a bit of confidence back and, you know, it, it does also take confidence. You do need to think like, am I capable of this? Can I put my hand up to say I can be the leader? Can I absorb that pressure? Um, and you need to have confidence in your own ability and form to do that. And I definitely did not have that coming out of 2020. <laughs> and um, I want to come back to that because obviously that plays a huge role in your future and next year. But I want to talk a little bit about the team because obviously we've seen FTJ become honestly one of the best teams in the world this year, um, especially with Marta Cavalli, like stepping it up and winning world tour races and Sile at the tour and everything and at the tour of Scandinavia. How has it been within the team juggling mm, so many leaders within one team? Because we, this is something we just talk a lot about on the freewheeling podcast weekly is it's, it's hard for teams, especially young teams to manage multiple leaders in one team environment. So how has that been within the team? Definitely had its hiccups and there's no two ways about that. But I do think that the team management and staff have like recognised that and tried to kind of divide the calendar and been very clear with who is the leader. And then given those other leaders opportunities or played the numbers game. And, and then you also have to have other people in the team who are willing to do their job like you know, you obviously, if you're trying to race for yourself, but also kind of help the team, but kind of not really, one, you're not going to end up with a good result yourself. And two, you're going to be a useless teammate or a sneaky teammate. And that's just like, I can't imagine you come out of that feeling good at all. But whereas you have, um, so for example, the team was very clear at the beginning of the year, or even the end of last year, that Scylla would be the leader for the Tour de France and they would put all their resources into um, preparing her for the Tour de France um, and that Marta would be the leader for the Giro. Um, but we'd also go into the Tour, like Evita was always going to go to the Tour as well, obviously as like an amazing French climber and mm-hmm. she has a bit more of a free role in that kind of race. Um, yeah, so that that clarity was made very early and obviously unless there was, um, yeah, an injury or something that, that would change it. And, yeah, I suppose it's only become a bit challenging in races like Tour of Flanders and I think we're not the only team where it's kind of like you can have an elected leader but it's you're just not quite sure really who's going to end up in the final group on the day because it plays out so differently every year. Um, but, yeah, I think just that clarity and then just like being really honest with each other and, yeah, I mean, stepping up when you need to step up knowing what's going to help that person win because personally like obviously I ride as a domestic a lot and I I do think that I have been one of the strongest riders in some of the races um but I've been able to use that strength to help that person win and seeing the difference that makes and also having confidence in that person's ability like if you're riding for a leader that like you know doesn't really take on the leadership role or they're not sure or they're making excuses or they're just not a nice person. I can't imagine that's very easy and I haven't I haven't experienced that. But yeah, for example, Scylla, um, you know, she in especially before Marta was on the team, she was really like the leader for all of our races that were more or less climbing or attritional. And so 
yeah, she didn't win every one of those races. I think she didn't win any the first year, but each time she like took on that, she like owned that leadership and she would say like, okay, like, you know, I'm going to do it. She'd never be like, oh, I don't know, like I'm not not sure. And, you know, she just just owned it and gave it her best shot and that instills confidence in the riders that are working for you. Um, so that certainly helps. And, yeah, like, yeah, I'd say that's what it is, just kind of being honest and open and clear about clear about it. And I think the team has struggled with calling people out who don't do their job very well, though, like as in I think there needs to be a bit more honesty. Like I've certainly felt like I've stepped into jobs where I could have saved my energy and been there later in the race, but another rider hasn't. Um, has not done their job in that particular race, let's say. And I think we don't, on FDJ, we don't call it out as much as we should, but we're getting better at that. I think we're getting better at separating, like, you know, emotion from just, okay, this is the job on the day. But it's it's quite like the French are emotional people. And I say that in the best possible way because that's why 99% of the time it's such a good environment on FDJ. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's like such a huge part of women cycling. Maybe when you started, it was, or as back in the day, it used to be just kind of like a, everyone was racing individually. There was less mm-hmm. teamwork in involved in winning races. But I've, as the sport has progressed now, it's so important to have an entire team. And if you have one weak link, then that weak link could be the difference between winning a race and coming third. For sure. I completely agree. And actually on that note, on the flip side, a lot of people have said to me, you know, you've had such a good year. You've stepped up so much. Like we're seeing you there so much later in the races. And as much as it's nice to hear those compliments, I don't necessarily feel like I'm exceptionally stronger. Um, It's that actually some of the girls, well, a lot of the girls on FDJ have they have really stepped up themselves. So, and again, that comes to professionalization of the team, right? And also maturity, like we have a lot of young riders, but, and I think it's, so I've seen like, I don't have to use my energy early in the race because I know for sure that the other girls on FDJ have my back, that they're going to be able to do their job. And then I can save myself to then help Marta, Silla or Grace later in the race. And, but I think that um, I've tried to make a point of, making sure that they recognize their contribution and I think that maybe a lot of riders don't maybe get that recognition from either other people or their leaders and partly it's because well half the time you can't see their job on tv um and I know that and people are just giving me accolades because when they turn the tv on maybe in a few races I've been there a bit later on but I've done all my job earlier and other girls have done their job like really early on and I truly, really try to make sure that I like let them know like, hey, it was so good how you were at the front of the peloton the whole time so we could chill. Like if there was a crash, then like the girls whose job it is to work earlier will take us back. Um, Even just being aggressive and attacking, like, you know, not just saving themselves but actually animating the race and really letting them know um, how much everything they did really contributed to the the person on the podium or winning the race. Like when I'm telling this story, I'm thinking of Flesh Malone with Marta winning and like, yeah, I mean the race didn't play out exactly how we anticipated. There was a big breakaway that we missed and um, but it, like we worked like me and Evita worked really, really hard to bring that breakaway back, knowing that um, Marta has a really good chance of winning this race. And also earlier in the race, um, yeah, we had two of our riders, I think Stina and Jad, were there as well. Like there was a big crash and we were behind and like we were having to run, like there was no convoy and like we just sat on their wheel and they just took us back to the peloton and it's like that saves so much energy in such a big race if they just didn't, like if Jad didn't wait for us and she just got back because she wanted to get back in the peloton, but she waits for her leaders and she brings us back. And then like, yeah, I mean, I know I'm making it sound a bit messy because all these little images are flashing back from that race, but it really, really makes a difference to the outcome to have a good team. And 
I, I think that you'll are seeing it in women's cycling more, literally seeing it on TV, but also just like in the peloton. I, I notice it in other teams too. Like I, I really like to take in who's doing what in the peloton and where they are. And yeah, I definitely notice it. And I think it's super important to let people know that you notice it. Like I even see other girls and other teams doing an amazing job for their team leader, knowing how strong they are. And I'll tell them in the peloton, like, well, great job. Or like, you've been pulling all day. You're so strong. Because I know how it feels to be. It feels good to be recognized for your work if you're not on the podium. How how much of that do you think is comes back to the minimum salary and domestiques and riders who don't win races being paid enough to basically live on cycling? Yeah, I think um, it makes a huge difference because you don't have that stress of being able to like you know get a result in order to get a better team in order to get money. Like, yeah, I think if you're valued, yeah. You can tell someone you value them, but nothing says you're valued like here's money, like for your work. I mean, that's how life works, right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would say it makes a difference. Like, for example, I feel like maybe in the past you didn't see as many breakaways in women's cycling um, because what's the point? Like if you're in the really early breakaway, you're probably not going to finish the race in a good position. And then your pro cycling stats is going to say DNF or 100 second. And that's mm-hmm. not going to get you anywhere in your career. Um, because you also, yeah, you couldn't see our races on TV. So in men's cycling, being in the break has always been a way traditionally to get your jersey on TV and bring attention to your sponsors if you weren't likely to win the race. So like, you know, smaller teams. But now um, riders going in the break are getting recognition. Their jersey is on TV for a long time. And um, then there's those riders that are always in the breakaway and other teams are recognising it and saying, oh, yeah, that person's really strong, they're really aggressive, and it's not always coming down to your result. But certainly in the past, girls were riding for themselves or holding back a bit or not really contributing to the team because if they got a top 20 in a classic, that would get noticed, even if they honestly just, yeah, tried to just hang on all day and that was more likely to get them a contract than working really hard on the front or being in the break and, you know, finishing the hundredth. It's like senseless, but it's, that's how it, it used to work. <laughs> so you've kind of been, yeah. you've been in really the thick of the, the women's cycling boom, I feel like, because I mean, I know when you first started out, you came over to Europe and basically didn't have much. And now you're on your way to possibly one of the best funded teams in the women's Peloton next season so how has that been for you personally um yeah I'm under no illusions of how crazy it is for me to think that if you told me this is where women's cycling would be let alone where I would be five years ago I'd be like how (laughs) um you know I certainly came to the sport with like I honestly remember when Linda Jackson said we'll pay you a stipend you know, to race your bike. I was like, I'm getting paid. Like I, I lose money in order to race my bike. Like now I'm getting paid to do it. And it was 8,000 US dollars. And, um, yeah, like, which is fine. Obviously that team has a massive budget now and they pay their riders really well as a world tour team. Um, but back then, like, yeah, it was just an opportunity for me to go overseas. And like, I was just so grateful that, yeah, Tibco was, putting us in big European races and yeah, I I can't believe how far it's come. And, but it is kind of, you do, you do have to, you do have to catch up with the times. Like what was once okay is now not. And your standards do change. Like if we constantly live in the, you know, I could easily see girls starting in their first year getting paid 80,000 US dollars and be like, oh, well, I had to start with $8,000. Like they don't know how good they've got it, but I'm like, that's just the times. Like, good for them I mean yeah you can't go back and change change your own history um but then you also have to recognize well that does that mean that I'm now valued more because I do have five years experience or I do you know I I can do racing really well and so I think there's a balance between being like we're just so grateful to have money and being like no I'm worth this much money but also being realistic about it so Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's it's a fine balance, and I'm I'm often like you know jumping between both kind of opinions. Like ah, oh, that's so much money. Like why is that person getting paid that much and I didn't? But then yeah, at the end of the day, what another person is getting paid doesn't actually like affect my day to day life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the sport has changed so much just in five years. It's it's actually yeah. honest to honestly crazy to see how much the sport has changed in five years. Yeah, like viewing. I I, I can't remember a time before GCN. Like, what? How, how did we watch? Like, my parents used to always be messaging me, like, "How do we watch the race?" I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Facebook link. Going. I I only got Twitter myself in order to like follow races and be like rider number 52 is in the breakaway and you're like well if I was a sponsor I, I would not be sponsoring a team that literally has my brand on their jersey and they call them rider number 52 like, yeah <laughs> it's changed it's changed so much um and I hope that it, it I think sponsors are seeing value in it because it's ex, it's exciting racing it's just it's sport it's entertainment um, it is visible and that's been the biggest difference I think is having it having it visible there's in my opinion because that all trickles down it all trickles down if you want minimum salaries or like where a team's going to get money unless a sponsor is like here's the money <laughs> put us like you know what I mean so that's that's quite obvious but yeah it's amazing to think like what it will be like like will it plateau like is this like one of those things where you progress really really quickly like when you're a new athlete, your rate of improvement is outstanding. And mm-hmm. but that rate of improvement rarely continues through your whole career. Maybe except for Anna Van Bluten. She's the exception. <laughs> <laughs> um, there becomes a bit of a plateau and a bit of normalcy. And okay, you can mm, come up and down from that. So I'm like, will that happen to women's cycling? Will it be like, okay, that's enough? Like, we're at a good level now, like men's cycling, and we can just continue along the way. But at the moment, it's such a constant changing rise that yeah it's exciting and just you just don't know you never know what's going to come next (laughs) yeah definitely I feel like the a lot of what we're seeing this year could be linked back to the Tour de France I mean we talk about the Tour de France effect and we saw multiple teams including Tibco uh stepped it up with with EF as a sponsor to be able to fund ride pay riders enough and make a team that would compete at a race like the Tour de France. We saw Uno X form a women's team. And I mean, the, the effect of that race is, um, very, very visible and you didn't get to race it. So was that unexpected for you or did you know early on that it wasn't going to be on your calendar? No, I actually didn't know. Um, I I knew that there was four riders definitely going. That was Marta, Grace, Avita, and Scylla. And they we were all told that that was, that was the decision like at the end of the year before and then we would see how the rest of the, our seasons played out to get selected and that's like seems normal in like men's cycling as well. It's like you don't know until the last minute if you're going unless you're one of the main riders. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was pretty... Like I was a bit devastated, obviously, because I feel like I'm a super good teammate and I know that I'm really strong and I could have really helped impact the race and also that I'm not I'm not selfish. So you but on the same token, the team that they did take, there's no one I would take out. So I don't have that feeling of like I should have gone instead of that person because the team they took was amazing. Mm-hmm. And they all they're all hard workers and they're all non-selfish riders so yeah I think that's yeah that's the only that's that's the hard thing but yeah I was a bit like when I did see the hype around it and the attention that it gets and like the opportunities that people got um I was yeah I definitely had FOMO like I was watching it every day like I wish I was there but I do um yeah I'm like there's going to be another Tour de France isn't there like (laughs) so hopefully I can go next year and I think it'll become more and more competitive to make the Tour de France team um and it'll become more of a thing where like people are really aiming like putting in the like for example our team did do like with um 
Scylla and Evita, like, and Marta and Grace, they did, like, Tour de France training camps and they went and reconned the courses. Like, our team put a lot of resources into the Tour de France um, and for those girls who were definitely going. So I think we'll see that same, that pattern repeat year after year. So, yeah, and it was awesome to the, like, it. the cool thing about the Tour de France is that it has, like, these crazy stories and, like, drama and, like, even watching it, like, the day that, like, Scylla lost all that GC time and there was all the crashes and then, like, Marta was out and it was just, like, this is absolute tragedy for our team. Like, we've put so much energy into this race and I'm at home just, like, oh, my God, actually, I'm glad I'm not there. That must be horrible. And then the next day, Scylla wins a stage in such an amazing way and I already saw that stage and I was, like, this is a, this is a good stage for Scylla to win. Like, <laughs> she's really good at those uphill kind of sprints. Mm-hmm. And then she wins and, like, that kind of, like, drama is so entertaining. Like, if you'd been, like, FDJ is having the worst tour and then that happens, you're like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) There's not that many stages to win. Like, if you can win a stage there, you can be very happy. (laughs) Yeah, it was, I feel like watching FDJ in particular in the tour was just, I mean, it was such a roller coaster of emotion. I mean, like, I've become such a huge fan of Marta watching her race for a couple years now. And this year was Mm. a really great year to be a Marta fan. And then that crash was just like so devastating to watch. But then, yeah, with with the next day and Sile and everything, I mean, it was like you couldn't write a better (laughs) storyline. If it was fake, like if it was fake, you couldn't come up with a better story than than the team. Oh, exactly. It was just the best, like, it must have felt so good to to win <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> from the day before. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I hope to do the Tour de France in my career for sure. And I do wonder, like, how it will play out now that, so, like, for example, Scylla did the Tour and the Giro and the Vuelta, and I wonder if that will be how it will be in the future. A lot of riders did, like, on other teams as well. They did the triple um, and I hesitate to say Grand Tour because I, yeah, they're not really a Grand Tour. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but for the women's category, yeah, sure. They're just a tour, a stage race. I also don't think you can call two day races a tour. So, <laughs> or, or yeah, a three I mean, day we had, the, there was a lot of debate this year about whether the first stage of the Giro Donna was a prologue or a time trial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, or like when they have, yeah two-day stage races that have a GC. You're like, I don't, like, it's not, doesn't, they're just two one-day races. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so I wonder how that will play out next year. Like, if you want to be totally firing for the Tour de France, are you going to the Giro? Are you taking risks at the Giro? Like, are you giving another rider an opportunity to be the outright leader, kind of like our team did this year? Like, there was, yeah. Marta could prepare for the Giro and Scylla could prepare for the Tour and they knew that that was how it was going to be. And, yeah, but you do need the depth in the teams and then you need the support riders and support riders and that kind of stuff. So just roll with it. Like, yeah, I think it's, it's what it's been like with women's cycling, just like many more surprises and a bit of push, bit of pull, and here we are. Like I know that it's a, a in my entire life, it's probably a very short period of my life that I'll be a professional cyclist, but it'll be a very significant period of my life. So I'm just trying to soak it all up. <laughs> yeah. And next all the year, changes, all the good, all the bad. <laughs> next year is going to be super exciting for you because you're going to Trek. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm very excited. And I think that feeling of like something new and exciting and like also a bit of, you know, apprehension. Cause it's like, yeah, it's a new environment. It's a new challenge, but that's what you want in order to grow. And I, I really seek that that challenge to be able to grow because I feel like I'm a bit stuck in my role at FDJ. And yeah, like I have made it clear. I'm, I I don't really know why I haven't ever been given um, like a leadership opportunity. And maybe it is because I am good at being a domestic and I will always like if something goes wrong try to kind of like fix it in the race (laughs) um and it's like well but we also have other riders who are really good at that too like this year you saw at the Tour de France Marie Lynette and um to everybody out there it's Marie Lynette not Marie Lynette 
It's just she would like want you to know that, and I'm letting <laughs> you know too. Um, Very good. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Victoria Cassini, like those two girls are so strong and so selfless and also great athletes in their own right. But I think maybe there's just not really a race that I like super fit into as the outright leader because um, uh, like all the kind of climby races, it's for Marta or Scylla and Evita gets a bit more of an opportunity for her results than me and I guess because she's a development rider for the future. And on the same token, Evita also works really hard for the team when she needs to and she's she flips that role really well. But, yeah, so I'm not entirely sure why. Um, maybe I didn't ask for it, you know. Sometimes I sit back and I'm like, should I have just said, like, hey, why aren't you riding for me today? Or, like, contacted the directors beforehand. Um, but then I'm like, well, maybe I didn't, I don't really have the confidence to say, like, we should ride for me instead of, Marta, Silla or Grace because they're all really good <laughs> and capable and have proven that they can win races. So it's, I would, I, then I had this thing in my head, like, well, what if I'm like, you should ride for me and then I don't deliver then, then like, why would I say that? What an idiot. Like we should have, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a, like a difficult thing in my head. Like, have I put forced myself into this role? Like, am I proud of what I've done? Is it just this like, yeah, I am on a team with similar riders. So then you move to another team where you have more opportunity or there's more races coming. Like, could I have gone to a team um, that then I would have been quite obviously the leader with like, you know, some people even questioned like, are you going to get more opportunities at Trek? Like there's heaps of super awesome riders there too. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. But at this point in time, I'm not, I'm not like the top tier climber girls I'm like second tier maybe if I get to save energy so I'm like realistic I would like to be top tier but I also want to learn how to do that I want to learn from like Elisa Longo-Borghini and I want to learn from Lizzie Diamond and Ellen Van Dyke and Amanda Sprout so yeah that's a bit of a rant that I just went on there Um, no I mean you're right like you it's hard to put yourself forward to lead but you also have to have opportunities in order to grow as a rider. Like you have to fail yeah. in order to jump into the next tier because then you'll know, okay, well that didn't go well. I have to do that better, differently next time. And maybe next time it works and maybe next time it doesn't, but then you know another thing that you shouldn't do. And it's, That's if you're true. always stuck yeah. in, if, if you're always stuck in a domestic role, domestic role, then you, you never get the opportunity to learn how to win, which is something we see. Exactly like a lot with riders who, who move teams in order to have more opportunity and then they still don't win just because they, they never got the chance. So they Mm -hmm. don't know how, you know? Yeah, it's fun. That's actually such a good point. Like I, you know, like I feel like I'm quite switched on from the beginning of the race all the time, like looking at everything and like, yeah, I'm not sitting there like, how am I going to best win today? Because it's, you know, we have a team meeting in the beginning and it's like, these are the riders we're going to look after. This is what your job's going to be. And then, yeah, again, I, I'm very quick to step into the role when something goes wrong to try and give the leaders the best opportunity. So, yeah, I would like to, because I have won races in the past. Okay, they're not world tour races, but like I've still had to put myself in a position and have the confidence to pull it off and win. and now that I'm wiser and more experienced and fitter and stronger, I'm like, well, I'd like to try that again (laughs) now that I have all these extra things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So hopefully that, and that is an opportunity at Trek. Um, And yeah, like had I stayed on FDJ, I think with an increasing calendar and also my consistency this year, I could have, I could have asked for opportunity. Um, yeah, and I, I do feel like I've, I've had support from the other girls on the team to say, hey, like, we should ride for you one day, why don't we? But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's all those reflective things where you're like, why didn't I just, like, put my hand up more? But I didn't, so here I am. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> like, again, like I said, not it's not like, I mean, for example, there's a vice and a virtue to come with that. Like the first year that Scylla was the leader, she didn't win, but she she tried she she tried to win every time and she put herself in a position to win every time. 
and like made mistakes and learned from it and we supported her every time like I wasn't mad at her when she didn't win a race or she had a bad day it wasn't like how dare you not win like I know that it's hard to win a race and she would have tried her hardest so I'm like why don't I think that about myself and then yeah now she wins in awesome ways and she's one of the most consistent riders out there so but she's had to put herself in that position every time and like yeah make mistakes and that kind of stuff so yeah I'm not young so I'd like to do that now (laughs) (laughs) how much do you think how how much have you chatted with your new team directors about your role next year how much do you know about what you will be doing Uh not much but I did make it clear when I had the initial conversation like look you know they're obviously hiring me not because they've seen me win heaps of races so they're hiring me because I'm a good teammate and I'm a strong rider and I probably have potential to win races. So I've said, like, I do want some opportunities, but I'm realistic about it. I'm not going to be fighting Elisa for, like, you know, the Giro, the GC Giro or something, the Giro GC. But, um, and I think what I would like is that, like, if I can, I said, like, I'm happy to, like, empty myself for other people and who are the leaders and it would be nice to feel that you had also really strong riders riding for you one day to do your job. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, cycling teams aren't about just giving everyone a fair go. They're about winning races. So they have to think, what is our best chance to win the race? Who is our best rider? Who's most likely to win? So I understand why it's not just like, hey, like everyone gets their go. Like, yeah, you have to be realistic about it. So, um, but I just want to try. I want to try. I want to see if I can do that. Yeah, I, I guess, don't know. I don't know what my calendar looks like yet, or like, I have no idea. Yeah, none of that at all. And I, I know that I'm not hired as an outright leader, so we'll just have to see. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll ask them. <laughs> This week's episode is also brought to you by Shimano and its new GRX RX870 carbon wheels. Tested by Shimano's top gravel athletes and proven on the roads of Unbound, the new GRX carbon wheels are lightweight, responsive, and ready for any mixed terrain that you might ride. The 25 millimeter internal rim width is designed for tires ranging from 32 to 50 millimeters, and Shimano's cup and cone hubs provide proven reliability no matter how far down the road less traveled your adventure takes you. Thank you so much to Shimano for sponsoring this podcast. Now let's get back to the conversation. I guess you um, you probably won't have to spend energy on problem solving during races because you're going into a team with a lot more experienced riders and riders who have been team captains on the road for like double the amount of years that you've been in the pro peloton. Totally. Exactly. And I think that's also something I was seeking out. Like I want, um, you know, I obviously really admire Ina as a sports director and I've also seen in real life on the road, like how track race and I admire that. So that was part of the appeal. And um, like when she contacted me, I was just like, yes, in my head, you know. Um, Yeah. And I, I would like that. I would like someone to tell me what to do and how to race better and like how to make better decisions or just make them for me. (laughs) like a lot of the time um, I'm the team captain on FDJ and I think I'm pretty good at that because I'm good at communicating and I do think I can read a race pretty well. I enjoy figuring out races, Mm -hmm. um, but I also just would like someone to tell me what to do. Like I just want to go, I just want to go work for Apple, you know, I want that to be structure and then that's how it goes. You're not part of a startup anymore. Like there's a benefit to working for a startup and being part of the journey and growing with them. And I feel like it's been like that on FDJ, but now I just want to work for Apple. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure there's going to be times where, yeah, I'm called out for something I did wrong. And I'm sure there's going to be times where I'm like rewarded for something I did right. And in both of those things, you can only grow and learn from them. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like as a professional athlete, you're always, I feel like you always want more. So, yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your, what are your goals going forward? I know you don't know what your schedule is going to be, but do you have any like major goals on the horizon? Well, I have any major goals on the horizon. What are my goals? 
Oh, like if I was just to say like purely selfishly goals, like I would like to podium on a world tour race. Like I think that's pretty fair. And namely the races that are my favourites is like Strada Bianchi and Tour of Flanders. Everyone wants the podium at Flanders. But I feel like <laughs> you were I pretty like close it. last year. I'm, this year. Yeah. <laughs> so close yet so far. Yeah. I feel like that gave me the confidence that I could, you know, be there when my form's good. Like I like those kind of races. I like the parkours that are a bit that are technical and cobbly and crazy and selective. Um, I like chaotic races like that, you know. <laughs> uh, so that would be two big goals. Um, I'd also like to win GC at a race. And I can't say which race because there's so many different races that are changing. Like the Walter was three days last year. Now it's five. Next year it's me more. So a race like, yeah, I would like to GC. I'd like to be ridden for for GC at a race that suits me. Like I don't want to go to the CMAC tour and them to be like, we're riding for you today because I'd be like, oh, yeah, good luck with that, <laughs> which is not going to happen obviously. But, yeah, um, I really would like to, I would really like to be performing for the Spanish races in May just because it's kind of a new area and mm-hmm. in May it used to be like the Tour of California and unfortunately that race doesn't exist anymore. Please bring it back, America. Mm, um, it was a good one. It yeah, really it's good just one. a bit of a new era and you can't, re- I don't know if you can really run the same team for like Burgos, Itzulia, the Vuelta, like all these other races. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, it would be, I like racing in Spain. I like like really hard, steep climbs um, just because I just, they're just so raw. <laughs> like, and yeah, I like to go to a race that suits me like that. I wish that the Classica San Sebastian was still a race for the women as well because they deleted it from the women's calendar for some reason but kept it for the men because mm. um, we had Itzulia, but the men also get Itzulia. So I don't know why they had to take a one-day race away and put in a stage race because I'm like, well, it's race completely differently. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to win San Sebastian. But it doesn't exist, so is that a silly goal to have? <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was such a good. I, I the one year after the Giro when um, was it Lucy Martin who like won, almost won one stage of the Giro and then Voss passed her in the very very last bit. Oh, Lucy she, Kennedy. Lucy Kennedy. Kennedy yeah, yeah. That was such a good. That was like such a great comeback story that year. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. She was really good at those long steep climbs too um yeah I think I have like goals that are always floating around but I don't like fully put all my eggs into one basket because then yeah I don't know you can only control so much I'm not that brash with my goals they're just like Mm. there and I'm like if an opportunity arises and I'm in good form and I get to aim for that race knowing that I'll have the support um then then I'll really start to focus on it but that's also the thing like someone said to me like oh do you really need support to have like in your races and I'm like yes personally if someone like believes in me and is like hey I think you're really good and you're really strong and like I back you to win that makes a huge difference for me I I don't have um, enough I don't have enough self-confidence or an ego to be like I'm best I'm a boss. I'm just going to win no matter what because, like, I'm not. But so if you other probably people, respond better yeah. to, like, positive reinforcement than someone being like, I don't think you can do it. And then you're like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, if someone, yeah, I don't feel like the need to prove people wrong. Like, sometimes everyone has that a little bit, like, but it's never really about other people or, like, what mm-hmm. other people think. It's about me because, and that might be, like, how I'm raised. Like, I never had pressure in sport or like I had to prove myself to get ahead I was just like well it's me that wants to be satisfied it's my goals that I want to achieve and feel good like it's not really it's never really been about other people at all otherwise I wouldn't have become a pro at like 26 or whatever (laughs) like so yeah I would like other people to and because when I was on Tipco and I won like the tour of the healer like I didn't just do that on my own. Like the whole team was there riding for me and they did all do a really good job. Like all those girls rode so selflessly and so professionally at a, um, for like, you know, a small team and I won. And the truth is I felt super supported and I saw it on the road 
So that's my little experience of how it feels to be ridden for, which is maybe why I'm quite good at doing it for other people now. But it makes a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> like it I want to talk good. a little bit about... I'm in a team sport. um i want to talk about racing for australia too because you just finished the world championships and you guys had an incredible ride all of you together at the commonwealth games and then maybe the worlds didn't go quite as uh as planned but how was it Mm. racing how is it racing with australia versus racing with your trade team uh it's so fun i don't know it's like it's the fact that it's a like not it's not regular programming you know it's like once a year or commonwealth games once every four years so that already feels special you all have to be like selected to be there so you all it's not just like in australia you don't just ever default make the national team it's a very big and long and specific um and sometimes controversial selection process that um australia goes through so once we're all there, we're like, right, we're here for a reason, for a job, and we all really want to be here. Um, and then, of course, you have just like, yeah, the fact that you all have the same humour and speaking the same language from the same place. Like it's very, you know, the humour is very quick and it's very like subtle and that's always fun for me. Um, yeah, it, it's it's also different because I've never raced, you never raced at the national team with race radios. So it almost feels like a totally separate, like, I don't know, not a separate sport, but it's a very different scenario to when you're racing with your trade team. Um, yeah, and it feels a lot more finite because it's a one-day race and you have one day to perform and you're representing the country. It's not like, oh, there's another race coming soon. Um yeah, and, like, we had a really, really good dynamic at the Commonwealth Games, like, just good people. We'd actually prepared, like, our strategy months and months and months in advance and talked about it and talked about it and looked at it and discussed it and, you know, it's a lot of work goes into it and we all knew very clearly our role and who the leader was going to be. And, again, you get selected for a national team, same like another team, it's like, you really want to try and win. It's not just giving everyone a go. It's like we're here to win the race and who's the best person who's most likely to win and who are the people that are going to be best to support that person to win because, like, gold medals matter for national teams and national funding and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we're all very aware of that and it's good. I think at the World Championships, yeah, it didn't play out how we'd anticipated. I do think that our team was capable of a medal in a different scenario, but everyone could also say that. Um, We anticipated that Mount Kira would be ridden harder by Annemiek van Bloom Um, or Demi Vollering at least. That would play their cards there because that was going to be the best opportunity to reduce the group before you got to the fast circuits. and. So my role along with Amanda Sprout was to be like attentive at Mount Kira and follow any moves or like I guess Spratty was going to be better at following attacks and I was going to be better at welding something if it went. (laughs) Uh, But nothing happened. We just chipped away. We just chipped away at a respectable pace, firm but respectable up Mount Kira. Um, And then, yeah, in the circuits it was crazy. It was hectic. We had you know, Sarah Roy and uh, Josie Talbot still there positioning us really well before the uh, Mount Pleasant climb. Yeah, I do think that, uh, and so really we were racing for Grace Brown um, to take an opportunity after a hard race, a selective race, which is she's proven time and time again that's how she wins best. Um, like the stage that she won at the Vuelta was, I was there, it was very hard. <laughs> like I was like floundering at the back while she was attacking off the front. And yeah, that's just because she's so strong. <laughs> um, and Alex Manley was going to be our best option for if it was to be like a selective bunch sprint. And so she kind of just had to chill all day and like be a bit more passive in how she was going to race. And then we had to, yeah, adapt and support. And basically Grace just didn't have very good legs that day. She told us early on that she didn't have great legs. Um, so there was that. There was the fact that Mount Kira didn't go off. Grace didn't have good legs. 
Um, and yeah, we didn't really. So we did try to like, okay, maybe she's going to get better. You know, like it's, she wasn't like guys, I'm shit. So that's why we started to attack to try and maybe, yeah, put some pressure on the other teams and reduce the group for Grace. And, um, but yeah, that kind of just maybe took some matches out of me, Spratty and also, yeah, Roy and Grace that we could have used later to be in that higher up selection. Yeah, so that's a bit a bit of a bit of a regret, but we did we did stick to our plan of trying to animate the race and trying to make it hard, and um, which was going to give a better opportunity to our leaders. But yeah, I think we probably could have like looked at like realistically and be like, Anamik has a broken elbow; she's probably not going to go crazy at the start. Um, also, we didn't realize Demi Vollering wasn't starting until we were literally on the start line, and we're like, wait, there's like counting the Dutch riders, and you're like. One of the favorites is not here. <laughs> yeah, but we we like we're all honest with each other, so we have you know a post race meeting, and um, we did call each other out on like, hey, this maybe you wasted a bit of energy here. We could have done that better, and um, in future we would have done that. But we we're also really proud of the fact that how we raced together um, and the responsibility we all took during the race in our home race. So yeah, no one left feeling bad does do you guys does that um does races like this like worlds and the commonwealth games play into who's selected for races in the future like would you say that because the commonwealth games went super well and maybe you did your job perfectly at the worlds even if it didn't pan out that you're now a better shot for the next olympics definitely like we have it's also like on paper like which races are considered selection races for your yeah for your selection and um, the previous world championships and Commonwealth Games and stuff are pretty much always on there. I actually don't think Commonwealth Games was, you know, maybe it was a selection race for the world. So it was outside of the time, but um, the selection time. But, yeah, the fact that we worked so well together there and had such a good dynamic certainly translated to worlds as well. Like it was a great dynamic. And I think you just have honest people. Like, yeah, Grace was honest. Like there was a point in the race where um, we had missed a split and Amanda Spratt, who's meddled at two worlds before and has been the leader, straight up, she was a, she was the road captain that day. She said, Brody, you're actually looking stronger than me on the climbs today, so I'm going to ride this lap. Like I'll take one for the team and ride the front to bring the gap back for Manly, Alex Manley. And I was like, whoa, I haven't experienced that before where someone who I'm normally like would ride for and yeah is a contender herself always um was honest with how she felt and adapted the plan and then like I rode the like I was able to save another lap and then I when at the very very last lap and there was a you know a little gap between the third group with Voss and Alex Manley in the group in front then I just was straight away like well now it's my turn to ride and try and bring Alex back and that kind of just quick decision making and honesty is like part of what makes us a good team um, yeah, so that's, that's quite a nice feeling. How much do you think that's Australian mindset, Australian culture? Cause you've obviously like, you've been on a French team for quite a while. You're going to an American team with a very heavy Italian influence, <laughs> but <laughs> you, yeah, you don't, I feel like it, this isn't something that's like really talked about that much, but there's every team is different because the the majority nationality will shift how the team functions and how the team interacts with each other. Yeah. I, I I would say that like the, I don't know, maybe the kind of camaraderie is like more Australian, but it's actually, it's um, okay. What am I saying? That kind of team culture didn't just come naturally. Like, we work together, like our director, Donna Ray, she like implicates that implicates our team values. Our we go through our team values, we go through our team goals. We are we work on that kind of stuff. Like we do like team building activities kind of thing. Like it's very, very purposeful to have that kind of openness and commitment and honesty and communication that does not come naturally. Like 
we specifically focus on those elements of, of a team. And I think people need to know that as well. Like it's, you can't just put a bunch of good writers together and be like, yeah, they'll just figure out who the leader is and they'll just figure out like she'll just start working when she needs to. Like you need to have a goal. You need to have goals within the goals. You need to have like a backup plan and a captain and experience. And like so I think people don't realise how much we actually put energy into that aspect. Um but, like, I also look at the Italian team and how they raced Flanders Worlds last year. I wasn't racing, so I could watch from the outside. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I wasn't at Flanders Worlds with the Australian team, but from all reports, it wasn't a good dynamic at all. Um, it was quite quite a toxic culture. For Like, I mean, again, we a lot of the riders that went weren't selected in the first place and there was injuries and last-minute call-ups and maybe a lot of, I think Australian cycling itself was going through a rough patch with like a lot of change of staff and everything. So it was more than just the riders. But um, then you look at how the Italian team raced and how they were just so committed to each other and getting that rainbow jersey. And I was questioning their tactics at one point. I'm like, what is Elisa doing? And then I realised like, wow. they. So, you know, it's it's actually I think it's more, yeah, the mix of people and also that purposeful goal to work together it's not doesn't just come naturally no because there are Australian writers who exist or have existed who don't have that same you know honesty or they don't have that same like teamwork attitude like yeah so and I can't say there's anything too typical about how the French race except that they do like panache like (laughs) they like um, you know, it's a dream to win a race with like, you know, an amazing long range attack or like aggression and then this person and like kind of drama rather than like a very controlled planned race. Um, but I guess that you can see that in the way FDJ races a bit, like we do like to attack and take chances and that I think, I, I think that's a French thing. <laughs> <laughs> next but, year uh, you're yeah, gonna have fun. like a lot of structure with ellen van dyke yeah, as yeah. like the so, team captain and <laughs> yeah exactly so i think um that might be one cultural one cultural element but yeah no it's always nice representing australia it's 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 not lost on any of us how special it is to to put on that australian team kit you feel very good <laughs> Yeah, and you guys got some sweet special edition kits for both races this year. It was really cool. Both kits were really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. They've included Indigenous artwork um, on our kits now, which is, yeah, super important to recognize the traditional owners of the of the country. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool that they've now included that in our national team kit. And that will stay on our kit for the one that's on the kit now. It will stay. Very cool. Yeah, it feels good. <laughs> Well, it's been really awesome chatting with you. I feel like we have to catch up later in the year when you've kind of settled yeah. into track and you know your role and hopefully win some races. But yeah, thank so, you so much for your time. No worries at all. Yeah, your your husband's my teammate, more or less. <laughs> Pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys it's get really to cool. go I to team that, camp together. I like that about track. Like that was one of the I know that I you've just like tried to wrap it up and here I am pushing on. But I just have to say <laughs> I like that um, the men's and the women's teams are in, engaged. Like mm-hmm. it's just a new experience. Like, um, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to get to know some of those guys. I like that they kind of share resources and it's like one team. That's really appealing to me. So I look forward to that and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people don't really know that FDJ, the men's and the women's team, they're not connected. They're, they're, they have the same sponsors no. but they're not the same team at all. <laughs> People do need to know that because they're almost completely opposite. Like Stefan Delcourt, the owner of FDJ Women's Team, FDJ Swears, is super progressive. He has a strong passion in his heart for women's cycling. And from all reports, Mark Matteo is the opposite of that. (laughs) Um, Everyone, like I'm happy to say this on a podcast from what I've heard, like he's super sexist and has no interest in women's cycling. So, yeah, kind of screw them we'll do our own thing and I'm pretty <laughs> pleased that Stefan has made our kit look better and that <laughs> we have a sweet motorhome 
and uh, that yeah, our team's winning lots of races. So yeah, we don't need we don't need Group Armor FGG, but the riders are all really nice. I think they wish they could be on our team. <laughs> the riders um, are really good people, and we like we have connected with some of the men, male riders like on training camps or wherever, and like it's it's pretty cool, and like their staff members and stuff are really helpful as well. If, if we ever need anything, you know, like that kind of connections there. Yeah. Trek will be so different. You guys have like team camps together. You go to your, the first camp of the year, you all do it together. And like December camp is all together as well. And so it'll be very, very different environment. Sweet as. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. And um, I'll definitely see you and Jorana for more catch ups. Cause probably I could just talk forever. That's yeah. That's how I, how I am. So you might have to edit out some of my rambles. No, this is like the best, <laughs> the best kind of podcast is when you don't have to ask many questions. People have something that they need to say. <laughs> uh, I hope I didn't say anything bad. Anyway, so what if I did? <laughs> Thanks very much.